You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. I want you to think about the importance of being a daring man of God or daring woman of God. I will be daring. Now, when I speak about daring, I want to get it clear before you that I'm not speaking about recklessness. I'm not speaking of betting your life on something that uh, has no importance whatsoever. Uh, Taking a risk and putting your life at stake. These guys that bungee jump. Now, some of them are here this morning. My son and some of these other guys, when they were in Africa recently, jumped off the, it is the highest bungee jump in the world, off the bridge over the Zambezi River between Zimbabwe and uh, Zambia. When he told me about it, I debated for a while whether to even tell his mother. But my response to him was this. And, of course, I remember some things in my own life, and if I didn't remember, Ruffin would remind me of them, of course, don't you think? I remember some, some reckless things that I did in my own life, but my statement over the telephone, long distance, I paid for it, was this. If you're going to give your life for something, give it for God, not a rubber band. And so <clears throat> I'm not speaking about something that is reckless and careless, betting your life on something that has no purpose at all, and nor am I speaking on, about something that is simply impulsive and rash. When I use the word daring, I'm speaking of an individual who with a heart of courage steps out on the Word of God, obeying the principles of God, regardless of the result. I want to say to you that this world is missing that element in the lives of men and women. People who are daring are few and far between. Reckless, yes. Impulsive, yes. Careless, yes. Foolish, yes. But to be daring for God, to be a man of courage, God. The world is hard-pressed to find those. It literally sickened my stomach when a few weeks ago I, and you did the same, listened to the reports of a, of a young lady who on a bridge there in Chicago had been dragged out of a car by another man, partially stripped of her clothing, her head smashed into the hood of the car five or six times, and then taking a tire iron, he began to beat her and over to the edge of the bridge, he, he, he took that lady, and in fear that he was going to kill her right there with that tire iron, this young lady jumped to her death over that bridge. She drowned. Now, the saddest thing to me about that is not just the event. The saddest thing is that there were many, many witnesses to that event. And for all practical purposes, it's like one of those stories that haunts you. The story of the lady who being chased by a man, ran up, and, and as, he was, as he was beating her, began knocking on the door of a house, and the people were afraid to come to the door, didn't want to get involved. And all these people around, watch this scene. Remember a bus driver saying, she was at the, I didn't know what to do. There wasn't anything I could do. And I thought at that moment, what, what this world needs is more Lenny Skutniks. I said, Brother Tom, who in the world is Lenny Skutnik? You probably would never even remember that name. Lenny Skutnik. As a young man, had a little family, never, he had several jobs, never had a job that paid him very much. 
was living in Washington, D.C., making $14,000 a year, which is nothing in Washington, D.C. He was, he was making that money being an errand boy. He had a civil service job. He was just an errand boy, running, running errands for people in office, carrying, del delivering messages, one office to the other. He said on one occasion, he said, you know, we don't have much money. We barely make it. Sometimes we close our eyes and blow $2 on ice cream. One day, Lenny Skutnik, on his way home, found himself in a snarl of traffic on a cold winter day in 1983. Getting out of his car and racing up to the edge, he saw that a large airliner had gone down and hit the bridge there near the Potomac, and the airliner was slowly sinking into the Potomac River. Snow was falling and sleet, and it was an icy day, and he saw that people were clinging to the sides of that airplane. And he saw the rescue efforts, and they brought in a helicopter, and they would lower ropes, and, and he saw one lady who was just, just could not reach that rope, just could not reach that rope, so benumbed by the cold. And without thinking, Lenny Skutnik dove into the icy water, swam out to that lady and helped her, and they rescued her. And when he got back on shore, he said, well, they said, we need to take you to the hospital. You, you've been in that water for so long that your body temperature is so low. He said, no, there are other people who need help. Finally, they forced him to a, into a, an ambulance. He took off his coat and gave it to another individual who was shivering there in the ambulance. They took him to the hospital and he said, look, don't, don't, don't worry about me. They, they forced him into a, a whirlpool until his body temperature got up to, to normal and then he just disappeared. He, he went home. They had to track him down. And Lenny Skutnik didn't just sit there on the, on the edge of that bridge and watch that lady as she was about to drown and think, well, you know, what should I do? What about my clothes? What should I get involved? I'll tell you, Lenny Skutnik was a person of courage, a person of daring, and he was a person who probably many times in his life had thought through this issue. What would I do if I see someone in harm's way, if I see a life that is about to be lost? And someplace along the way, he had made up his mind, God values life. Whatever I can do, I'll try to save that person. But this world is missing people like that. We're filled with people who haven't quite decided whether they're going to be daring, who haven't quite decided whether they're going to be a courageous man or woman of God. In just a few moments, we're going to read a scripture that I believe is, describes the life of the individual I think is the most daring and courageous man in the Bible, save the Lord Jesus. This man is not found in the Old Testament, although you might consider him the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is spoken of in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, we're told that before Jesus was coming, that there would be one who would come to announce it. He would say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he would prepare a people to receive Christ when he came. And I'm speaking of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Let me tell you a little bit of his story before I read this passage of Scripture with you together. John the Baptist was conceived approximately six months before the conception of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, of course, born of a virgin. John was born to man and woman, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth happened to be the cousin of Mary, the mother of Christ. Uh, while Zacharias was in the priest, performing, or in the temple, performing his ritual duties, Gabriel, the same Gabriel that later would appear to Mary, Gabriel appeared to him and said, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, and that child is going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus, the one who is to cry, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And Zacharias was so startled by this, he, 
he, he almost argued with Gabriel. And Gabriel said, well, look, I'll tell you what, you're not going to be able to speak a word until he is born. And of course, he went home. And you know the story as it's recorded there in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. He went home. It wasn't long before Elizabeth conceived a child. That child within her was to be named John. No, nobody could understand that, but both father and mother at his birth said, yes, he is to be named John, and that's when Zacharias began to speak again. Something happened, however, before he was born. Six months into her pregnancy, uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary conceived. Gabriel went to her. And Gabriel said, by the way, your, your cousin Elizabeth is also with child. And so when Mary discovered she was pregnant, she went quickly down into the hill country of Judea. And there she met with Elizabeth. You remember what happened? In the very womb of Elizabeth, John leaped for joy when he heard the voice of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Mary went back after five months, went back, or three months rather, she went back to Nazareth with Joseph. John was born approximately six months before the Lord Jesus was born. God had said not only is he to have a different message, he's to live a different kind of life, a Nazarite kind of life. He ate no, he, he ate no strong meat. He ate honey and locusts. Some people would say, well, that locust that he ate was the, the carob bean. It sounds like a locust in a tree, those big bean pods when they shake in the wind. But the reality is the word that's used here is for the critter, the locust. And so he ate honey and he ate the locust and he disappeared for almost 30 years and it wasn't until Jesus had come to the time of his earthly ministry that John then before him appeared on the scene and he began crying out prepare the way of the Lord he was a strange man dressed in a in a uh, coat or a tunic that was made out of woven out of camel's hair he had a leather belt that he wore around his waist this unusual diet but his strong, uncompromising message. And what happened was that the city of Jerusalem spilled out into the wilderness to hear this man, this strange man, with this uncompromising message. And it made no difference who you are. He never, he never compromised. He never fudged the least bit on a conviction. People would come to him and they would say, what must we do? And whether it was a, uh, just a, a bystander or it could have been a tax collector, a publican, or it could have been a soldier, or it could have been some religious leader. John just put the axe to the root. He said, listen, you are a generation of vipers. There's got to be a change in your life. People got convicted by God. They repented, and they were baptized. And that was not a Christian baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. Baptism was long known when a Gentile converted to Judaism. He would be circumcised, later publicly baptized. And so baptism had long been associated with the fact, I'm changing my life. And of course, it was only Christ who could change, but these people were saying, I want to do better. You would have thought that John uh, would have kept his mouth shut, but he waded into the political arena. And he stood, I think, on the street outside the palace of Herod one day, and he condemned him because Herod's brother, Philip, was Tetrarch, uh, the Roman representative up in up in Iturea, which is north of Galilee, just as Herod was down in Judea. And Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, to be his wife. John stood outside the window, and over and over he would, he would shout through that window, this thing ought not to be so. This thing ought not to be so. And then back to the wilderness, and people would come out, and he would baptize them. One day Jesus showed up. And this earth had been looking 
for that ultimate sacrifice. In the Garden of Eden, it was a lamb for a man. In the time of the Passover, it was a lamb for a family. Out in the wilderness on the Day of Atonement, it was a lamb for a nation. But where was the lamb who would take away the sin of the world? And Jesus showed up on the scene, and John pointed his finger at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus begged John to baptize him, and he did. It wasn't long after that before John found himself in prison because Herod could not tolerate John walking around and calling him an adulterer, calling him a man of perverted morality. And so Herodias, his wife now, begged him, and, and so Herod had John imprisoned. And it is from this prison that we read what happened. So if you will stand with me, I'm going to begin reading with verse 1 of Matthew chapter 11 came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, you can question John on this. You can say, well, John should have known he was Jesus. He had baptized him. He saw. But can you imagine in that gloomy, dismal atmosphere of prison, you have given all that you have, you spent 30 years in the wilderness preparing for a moment that was just like a flash in a pan, months, and it was over. And now here you find yourself in prison and you wonder, is this, have I really given myself for the right person? And Jesus answered and said to them, look, go tell John what I'm doing. Go and show John again the things which you hear and see. The blind receive sight. See, John, listen to this, John never performed a miracle. But he knew that the Messiah would be a man of miracles. And so he said, go tell him. You see miracles. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed he, uh, whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes, you see, they would have thought, here's old John. He had that little brief few moments of uh, heroics, and now he's in prison. His life is soon going to be over. And here he is even questioning the Messiah. And so Jesus scolds the crowd. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? I mean, you went out there to hear him. Did you just go out there because there was a reed shaking in the wind? No, that's not why you went out there. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man clothed in soft raiment? You didn't find it out there in John. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are up in the king's houses. But what did you go out to see? It was a prophet. Yes, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, which shall prepare your way before you. Now listen to this commendation of Jesus. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. He goes on to say that New Testament believers in Christ will have an even greater place in the kingdom of heaven because John is in the Old Testament stream. But he said, I want you to know, of men that are born of women, there has not risen greater than John the Baptist. What a commendation coming out of the mouth of the Lord. You know, I think, that it wasn't long before John was killed. The Bible tells us that at Herod's birthday, Salome, the daughter of Herodias, came in and danced before Herod. And in an impulsive, rash moment, Herod said, I'll give you anything you want. She slipped out the door, the Bible says, went to her mother. Her mother said, Tell him when the opportunity is right that what you'd like is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
And when Salome came back and told that to Herod, his heart sunk because down deep in his heart, Herod admired John the Baptist. He was a man of principle, a man of conviction, and he admired him. But because the crowd around him heard him make that vow, and because his wife Herodias was just leaning on him a little bit, he sent the soldiers out immediately. They cut off the head of John the Baptist, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. The head was given to Salome, who came and presented it to her mother. Interestingly enough, there is an Islamic temple. It is the third largest temple for Islam, Muslim people in the world. It's located in Damascus. I have been in it. It's located in Damascus, Syria. It is called the Temple of John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? That they would have such an understanding of the vitality of a daring man, a man of conviction. They say in that temple that the head, or at least the skull that was on that charger, is it has been placed in one of the great columns in this temple. I don't know whether that's true or not. But isn't it interesting that even people who would deny the Christ who commended Jesus would say of John the Baptist, he is a man after whom we want to name one of the largest temples of our faith because we believe in his courage. He was a daring man. Now this question before we pray, what elements have to be in your life if you're going to be a daring person? What's going to have to be there? We'll look at that in these few moments. Father, I pray, believing that your Holy Spirit will stir up our hearts this morning and show us what is involved in being a man, a woman of daring faith. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Let me give you five characteristics that must be present in your life if you are to be a person of courage, a person who is a daring individual, daring to do, daring to be all that God wants you to do. An individual whose life is marked with the characteristic of courage. People would say of you, well, they'd say one thing about that person. He is a man, she is a woman of courage and daring. And when the chips were down, when the time came for, I mean, right down to the moment when everything was hanging on the issue, you could count on that person rising to his feet and taking a stand for God crying out against that which is evil and wicked and godless and taking a stand for God. In his home, where he worked, in his city, in his church, he was a man, daring man of God. Here's what needs to be in your heart. First of all, you need to be a man of purpose. You have to have a mission, men. You need to have a mission in life. What is your mission in life? I'll tell you, I, I, I encourage men everywhere I go, make out a, a mission statement. If you want to rally the forces in some plant, you need to show the people in that plant where you're going. The most disillusioned people in the world are those who are out there just putting those nuts and bolts together, hammering, never any idea what's going on. Life is just humdrum to them. If you want them, if you want to rally them to produce, for instance, the kind of planes that were manufactured and assembled right here at Tinker Air Force Base back during the war, how... How could that happen? How could so many planes be put together? But people had a mission. There was a, a purpose to what they did. And you, you need to sit down and, and write out a, a mission statement. John knew from birth that he had one purpose in life. His parents conveyed that to him. You are the forerunner of Jesus. Everything that you do, 
all the preparations of your heart and life, they're all to point to one thing. You are to prepare the way and to prepare the hearts of people to receive the coming Messiah. That was his purpose in life. You should be called a prophet. Gabriel said, you'll be called a prophet and you will be used of God to make ready the path of the Messiah. Now, I'll make two, two quick comments about purpose. First of all, regardless of what you may think about me or this message or this whole issue of purpose, regardless of what you may think, having purpose in life is a significant issue. It is a significant issue. The Apostle Paul was a man of purpose. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. You see, Paul was a man of person, uh, of purpose. Listen, having a mission is what brings your life into focus. Having a mission is what gives your life impact. You bring a disciplined life, you point it in a specific direction, and that's what's going to give your life impact, focus, energy. All these, you won't do a lot of things okay. You'll do one thing excellently when you have a mission in life. And I've discovered that people who really succeed with the heart of God are somewhat lopsided. The world looks at them and says, you know, they just don't, you know, they're just sort of out of balance. People who have a mission, people who have a purpose to accomplish, those are people who, who will look out of balance to the world. What could you say about John? Could you say, well, John, you've got a balanced life. You spend a few hours every day on the racquetball court. You're trying to eat a balanced diet. You spend a few times fellowshipping with other individuals. You, John, you've got a really balanced life. You're a family man. No, nobody would have said of John that he had a balanced life, but they all said of him he has a mission. He has a purpose in life. And I wonder what people think about your purpose in life. It doesn't have anything to do with how you make a living. It has everything to do with what kind of life you have. And there's a difference between making a living and having a life. You hear somebody say sometimes, get a life. They could say that to somebody who's got one of the best jobs in this town and making more than most anybody here. But you can say that, I man, get a life, because making a living is different than having a life, and it's a purpose and a mission that enables you to have a life. It's a significant issue, and it must be a settled issue in your heart. John knew from the beginning. What did the Apostle Paul say? In Galatians chapter 1, he said, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb to reveal Christ in me. He said, From the very beginning, I had a sense of purpose. Moses had a mission. Down deep in his heart, there was this thought, somehow I've got to do something for these Jews who are beleaguered and who are in captivity. And at the age of 40, an ill-fated, impulsive, reckless attempt caused Moses to flee to the backside of the desert. And for 40 more years, God trained him, broke him down, divested him of all authority, though he'd been the grandson of Pharaoh, stripped off of him all that, that military demeanor, all those wonderful robes that he must have worn. And there he was with a bunch of smelly sheep on the backside of the desert, and God spoke to him through the burning bush and said, Mission, you've got a purpose in life. Go back. Do this. Lead them. That's your purpose in life. And I believe there are people here this morning who say, I don't have that. 
You need to get that. You need to go before God. You seem to say, God, help me to write it out, a sentence, a paragraph, whatever it is, a statement of my purpose. What is my purpose in life? I have one written out that I, that I literally measure what I do most of the time and every day by that mission statement. Is this in any way helping to point my life toward the accomplishment, the fulfillment of that mission in life, that purpose in life? You need to be a man of purpose. Secondly, you need to be a man of principle. No question, but John the Baptist was a man of principle. He was principled when it came to what he ate. Frankly, I don't like his principles there. Not the diet I would choose, but as a Nazarite, in many ways, John would have to do that. He was principled according to his diet. He was principled in terms of delivering his message. Generation of vipers. I can't change. I won't accommodate this message to you. You knew that I was going to say something, didn't you, about this new Bible? You're just waiting, aren't you? Can you imagine John the Baptist out in the wilderness? People are coming out to them. We need to pray, Our Father, Mother God. Where do those people get off? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a letter to Oxford and say, I've bought Bibles from you before, but I bought the last. If you can produce that and call that the Word of God, something's wrong with your brain. Man, you just got off of Mars. Your cheese slid off your cracker. If you think that in any way that this has anything to do with the Word of God, that's just the Word of man. The Word of man is not going to save anybody. It is the Word of God that makes the difference. Can you imagine John accommodating that to all the left-handed people out there? You know, they don't have... Right, it doesn't say Jesus received the right hand in that Bible because that offends the left-handed people. Where do you stop? You know, you get down to accommodating the Bible whether you have teeth or don't have teeth. Real teeth or false teeth. This is crazy. I don't say anything about people who don't have hair. Don't say anything about people who have too much hair. We'll just make the Bible not say anything about anything, and that's what they've got. That's what they've got. You need to be a person of principle. You remember David, young David, waiting down in that, uh, that camp when the giant of the Philistine army, Goliath, was over there and all the guys were over here sucking their thumb, including Saul, saying, I don't know what we're going to do. David waited in the camp and said, Hey, guys, isn't there a cause here? Isn't there a violation of principle here? This guy is adamantly against everything the people of God stand for. Let's go for him. David alone was a man of principle in the camp. A man of conviction, a man of courage and daring. A couple of questions arise. Where do I search for the principles of God, the Word of God, the Bible? That's why it's so important, men, for you to be involved in our men's Bible studies on the last two Saturdays and the first Saturday of October, last two Saturdays of this month. Why? Because it's in the Bible. You find the principles of God. You know what a principle is? A principle is something that never changes. It's immutable. Listen to this verse, Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled, where? In heaven. You're not going to get to heaven and God saying, surprise, got a whole new set of rules for you. Everything I said while you on earth is wrong. No, the word of God is as real in heaven as it is on earth because it's God's word and God never lies. You need to spend time in the word of God. That's where you search. You say, well, a second question, when do I stand upon principle? When is it important to stand upon principle? Always. 
always. Now, beliefs are something that you hold, and you say, well, I believe this. Oh, you've told, well, now maybe I'll change the principle. is basis of a conviction in your heart, and a conviction is something that holds you. You cannot get away from it. I love Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were men of principle, Daniel's buddies. And you remember here, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had erected this statue, 90 feet tall. Everybody was to bow down to it. They didn't bow down, they were going to get thrown in that fiery furnace. Heard a sermon one time, they didn't budge, didn't bow, didn't bend, didn't burn. Pretty good. Heard another sermon, I don't like his title, Three Asbestos Jews. Catchy. Probably not what we're looking for. You remember what they said, though, to Nebuchadnezzar? He said, look, guys, you're nice. I hate to lose you. You sold more than anybody else in our, our company. You're great. Look, give you another chance. We're going to play all these instruments. Trumpet, psaltery, they got all kinds of, you know, bagpipes, whatever they got. Out of here. We're going to play these instruments. And when we do, you just bow down. Otherwise, you burn you remember what they said? You know, our God's a powerful God. And if God wills, he'll save us in the fire. Oh, but by the way, if he doesn't save us, that's okay. We're still not going to worship you. We're still going to worship God. We'll worship God with our last little crispy breath. That's all. We're going to worship God. Men of principle. Principle, that's what they had in their hearts. Men of principle. All right, number three. Men of preparation. If you want to be a daring man, you've got to be prepared. Hey, have you noticed this? John the Baptist went in the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness? He was pre prepared. Moses went out, extended time along with God. What happened? God prepared him. The apostle Paul gets saved, starts in his ministry, gets hooted down, people are afraid of him, goes off to the wilderness. And there his heart is prepared. I mentioned a few moments ago, I think somehow in Lenny Skutnik's heart, he had replayed that a thousand times. You know why? Now listen carefully. Because in time of crisis, in time of emergency, in time when the pressure's on, you will do reflexively what you have already prepared and committed yourself to doing. You see, if you don't ever spend time to think through the real issues of life, if you're trying to decide whether you're going to shack up with somebody when you're already in the shack, if you're trying to decide whether you're going to listen to certain kinds of music when you're already at the dance, you see, that's not the time to decide. The time is when you draw alone with God and you begin to prepare your heart. It is that that you will do, that you have planned, thought about, said, that's how I'll stand in that instance. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Some years ago, it was before our two youngest children were born, Beth and Amy and Jean and I, took an extended trip to Europe. It was wonderful. We flew over and visited, you know, Norway and stayed in a little chalet in Switzerland owned by some friends of ours. And then we, anyway, had a great time, Germany. So <laughs> we're coming back. We're at the airport in Zurich, Switzerland. And we're sitting there on this big 747. Now, you got it. You know, there's three seats over here and then there's five in the middle and I'm sitting on this one on, by this aisle. And then there's another aisle and there are three seats over there. I had been reading about the Heimlich Maneuver, okay? 
had that in my brain. I mean, I, I decided, boy, if I ever see somebody exhibits all these signs, Heimlich maneuver. I'm not going to wait. Just reflexes. I'm sitting there on a the plane. The man and his wife get on the airplane. I've never met them. They live in Oklahoma City. That's what the pilot told me later on. He said, those people live in Oklahoma City. I, I didn't live in uh, Oklahoma City at the time, so it was not... I didn't even think about it. Maybe they're listening to this on the radio or seeing it on TV and have a fortune they want to give me. I don't know. They, but anyway... Um, any, anyway, this guy gets on. Pretty heavy set guy. I want to be careful. If he's going to give me a reward, I want to be careful what I say about him. But he's a really handsome guy, but he was a heavy set guy. And um, he got on, and I just noticed he was green around the gills, and man, he's sweating. And uh, it wasn't hot, you know. I mean, he got on the plane, he sat down. And pretty soon, before the plane took off, I saw his wife get up, and they were sat down a row behind us over by the window got up and ran to the front of the plane. I waited a little while, and I looked back at him. This guy has his hands up like this. His eyes are bugged out. He's turned blue. He's foaming at the mouth. He's going like that. And I said, Jeannie, I know what that is. I said, you go up to the front cabin. Hamlet maneuvers, what's needed here? I got out. I ran around. I ran through the little kitchen, you know, place over here, came down the aisle down here, got in beside this guy. Have you ever tried to drag? Anyway... I put my arms around him. Huge guy. I put my... He's still... I put my arms around him. Nothing. Nothing. I said, got to get him out of here. Got to get him out of here. So I began dragging him. I tried to get him out. You can't believe. Drag people on airplanes. His foot caught on one of the, one of the, the, the chairs, you know, there on a plane. And a very friendly person took the foot and moved it for me was a physician. There were three physicians right around there. Now, you've got to remember, this is back when you could get sued. You know, I'm, well, we're still there. Anyway, so <clears throat> I stretched this guy out in the aisle. I've had an opportunity to do this more than once. You better watch out how you act around me. I, I stretched this guy out in the aisle, and, uh, you know, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm, mm, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of this guy because I think he's choking. He's having a heart attack. So I've got him here. I've gotten in there and done the thing. You know where they always say, well, they always, you know, swallow your tongue. So I've gotten in there and he hadn't swallowed his tongue, you know. But, but I had it in a good spot uh, for him. And he's laying there. And they come in, you know, we hadn't left. And finally they come in and get this, this guy on a stretcher and they took him off. Well, just to set your heart at ease, the, the captain, I mean the pilot of the plane and everything, they came in. And they did tell me what I did was okay. They said, even if he's having a heart attack, that's a good thing. But now, of course, he's got a heart attack and three broken ribs. <laughs> Why did I do that? I, I did that another time in a restaurant, which was really a good one. I mean, it actually came out and I was a hero. But this one, never, nothing ever came out except his tongue. Why did I do that? Because I'm a hero? No, 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 no. I thought about doing it. I'd made up mind someplace out there, if that ever happens and I see that, I'm going to do that. That's why it's real important for you not to look funny at me while I'm preaching. I'll run right back where you are, pound you on the back, carry you out of here. No. It was something that was prepared. Now, John was prepared. Let me tell you what it takes to prepare, all right, quickly. Our time is getting away from us. And the first thing is time. It takes time to prepare. That's the one thing we won't give God. We talk about a quiet time, essential in your life. 
Chances are most of you can't take 30 days off to go or 30 years off to go prepare your life for some great ministry, but you can take 30 minutes off every day. Quiet time with you see, we throw our, we get up, have a tendency to throw ourselves into life where we don't have time to think about what we'd do in regard to anything. We just run around like a pinball, banging off of this wall, banging off of that, you know, we, we don't even think about what we're doing. You have got to have time. The second element that needs to be part of that is truth. See, John was out there with this truth. Paul was there in the wilderness with this truth. Moses met the God of truth in the wilderness. David, little shepherd boy, sat out there and thought for years as he tended that sheep, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want to establish this. God's going to provide for me. And he made certain decisions, preparing his heart. And my fear is, dear friends, that we all sit here and say, if we ever got under the thumb of some kind of government, if they ever started taxing us for our tithe, wouldn't hurt some of you all any because you don't tithe, but for those who do tithe, if they ever start taxing us for our tithe, what do we do? Well, listen, folks, don't wait for the day to get here. Make up your mind. Whatever happens contrary to the will of God, you won't bend. You won't bow. Right is right. Always right. You've got to be a person of principle, all right? Preparation. Time, truth, produces the third element. Trust. Trust. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word God speaks. I'll tell you what. Do you know why these prophets of old could wade into some palace, stick their finger right up to a king's nose, reach up both nostrils and scratch his brain and pull him back out? And say, but you know, you know why? because he had taken the time to stand before the king of kings and a mere king wasn't worth nothing. Some of us go around in life, we're so intimidated, all, oh, this happened to me, oh, this plant might, this company might do. Hey, listen, who are you living for? Who is going to provide for you? God is your provider if you're his child. And when you spend time and time in the word of God and develop trust, listen, there is nothing that will bring fear to your heart except the fear of refusing to stand on the principles of God. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. That's right. The biggest enemy you have is fearing to stand on the principles of God because you've not read over and over the diary of men like David who in the Psalms just spills his guts and says, look, he's taken care of me with the lion, with the bear, in the cave, with the soldiers. With Saul, he's taken care of me. And when you begin to read how God has provided for his people, you won't have to worry when you get up off your knees. Preparation. Number four, persuasion. If you want to be a daring man of God, you've got to be a man of persuasion. That doesn't mean that just you've got to be convinced. It means that you are persuasive, that you convince others. John was never popular, but he was respected. Moses would rarely have won a popularity contest, respected and followed. The Apostle Paul, constantly they were writing letters saying, Paul, you are a bozo as a believer. You said this. What do you mean by this? No respect. But they followed him. They heeded what he said. They listened to him. Why? Because his life backed up everything he said. Joseph elevated in minutes out of a prison up to head of state in Egypt, persuasive. Moses, persuasive. Now, let me tell you what, you, what in your life will help you to be persuasive. 
First of all, if people know in your life you have focus, you have focus, this is what you're after. This is what you stand for, this is what you're after. That you are after the purpose of God like a duck on a June bug. That you have a pit bulldog approach to the issues of God. You're going to hang on and never let go. You're going to be like a leopard on the belly of a Cape buffalo. A leopard cannot take down a Cape buffalo except this way. He takes his lumps and his licks and runs underneath that animal while he's kicking, reaches up, grabs onto his belly, and hangs on sometimes for over 20 miles. Now that's hanging on. Until finally, all the blood's drained out of that buffalo and he drops. And now it's time for the leopard to make a Big Mac. Focus. This is what I'm about. And you know what the saddest thing in the world is to me? To see some man 30, 40, 50 years still casting about for what I should do with my life. I tell you who else that makes sick. It makes your family sick, sir. Life never knows from one day to the next. We're going to be here. We're going to be in Baleen. We're going to be in Belgrade. Are we going to be in Berlin? Oh, no, I'm just sort of looking around for what God wants me to do. Listen, you just do what God wants you to do today. Oh, by the way, that means you go to his word and you spend time with him and ask him about that. You see? Person of focus. My life is pointed somewhere, John could say. And by the way, a person of faithfulness. That means when you make a stand, you don't ever back down from it. You don't say, well, I used to stand on that, but over the years I've come to accommodate my life to the real world. Let me tell you who made the real world. God. By the way, he's made a whole bunch of them. I don't know where they are and how they are, but boy, when you begin to conceive the universe, God made it all. You go out to another universe, God's God of that universe too. He's the God of all universes. He's the God of all galaxies. He's the God of everything. And these people who are saying all the time, well, you know, you just got to adjust your life to the real world. Why don't you adjust your life to God who made this real world and every other world? I, I think he knows what it's about. Anybody that can make sure that there's not one molecule in this whole universe that he doesn't know where it is, what its name is, how to find it and how to use it in a moment's notice, that's God. Accommodate your life to him. And so when the test is on, when the pressure is on, you need to be found as a man of faithfulness. And people will follow you even when you're going down if they realize that you're going down is because you've been looking up. Focus. Faithfulness. Finally, perspective, and we're through. Perspective. If you want to be daring, you've got to get a right perspective of your life. You've got to make up, and real, make up your mind that life is more than just living and getting and enjoying. It's something more than that. Life has a bigger purpose than you just living and getting stuff and enjoying it. You're not in this for you. Life is not about you. It's about God. We get so focused on ourselves. We've got to get a perspective. John saw that he was to live for the glory of God and for the good of man. That's why he was here. See, it didn't matter whether John's life was snuffed out early in life or whether he lived a long, long time. The point is, it was for God. By the way, not everybody that makes a big impact on the world lives a long time. David Brainerd died at about the age of 30. 
entire revival on the East Coast among the Indians. God used David Brainerd as the catalyst. By the way, praying John Hyde of India also died at about the age of 30. William Borden of Yale never reached his 30s. All of these are people, by the way, who, like John the Baptist, were here and then gone. But God used them while they're here because they had a perspective. Life is not about living and getting and enjoying. Life is about God. God's plan for my life. Don't you love Esther? Mordecai sends this messenger up, messenger up to her and says, Look, who knows but what you've come to the kingdom of possession's time is this. Here she is, the most beautiful in all the land. She is the queen. She has anything at her disposal. One thing she can't do is go before the king unannounced or uninvited. And Mordecai is saying, who knows with what this is why you were born. And so Esther says, have everybody pray. I'm going to do it. And if I die, I die. I'll be daring as a man of God. Where are those who will say today for the rest of my life, I will be a man, a daring man of God. Father in heaven, I pray trusting with your Holy Spirit.